Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of Get Wrecked, the only podcast anywhere in the world where two buds take turns recommending and reviewing some of their favorite pop culture hits, hidden gems, and oddities. I'm, of course, your host and resident silly boy Thor, joined today, as always, by my friend and co-host, you ain't got nothing but love, babe, eight days a week, it's Micah. Yeah, what a good song. You know, speaking of love, Thor... Okay, I want to uh, tell. I'm curious where this is going. It's going exactly where you would expect it to. Um, Are we talking about porn again? <laughs> no, God, no. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, but but I don't know if you know this about me, but I cannot fall asleep in pitch black darkness, silent sound. Yeah, we've talked about this. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same way. So I need to put things on and listen to them while I fall asleep. And recently, I don't know what this says about me. But I have been listening to interrogations of serial killers to fall asleep to. Dude, that's awesome. It has been very I mean, It's a little bit insane, but like, <laughs> it's, it's a little it, bit insane as something to fall asleep to. But yeah, it's been what I've got to, I've got to like pick the right one. So I'll like filter through them on YouTube. And I'm like, oh, that one, that one, that one I could listen to and fall asleep some of them are too much for me right like, <laughs> well yeah i get that i think some of them are too much um usually the ones involving kids i'm like nah, I'm, well, i can't fall asleep so to that. when my wife and i showed up here today to record i noticed on you had headphones in and i saw on your couch your phone was sitting there uh-huh. and i saw that an interrogation video was yeah. playing i didn't realize <laughs> yeah i've just been listening to it it's been really interesting yeah, no, that's just just like I get that. getting into the minds of of these people and I do I love like uh uh I love like crime shows and shit like that. I sure. love watching interrogations of yeah. killers. Yeah, just the I don't know, the psychology behind it and and kind of figuring out what makes those type of people tick um is a little soothing to me, I guess. <laughs> helps me <laughs> helps me shut my eyes and just rest. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe maybe it makes me realize that my life's not so bad. Is so yeah, I, you're like, uh, yeah, I I don't. Like, <laughs> you're like, I don't feel the urge to strangle women and <laughs> and yeah. chop their and bodies chop up. up. Yeah. That that really comforts me that I don't have to deal with that problem. Yeah. Or I just <laughs> lay down, I'm like, hey, you know, today was a tough day at work, and I got to go back to work, and maybe I'm not looking forward to it. But I'm also not being interrogated by the police. You're not for facing murder. forty years to life for a bunch of missing <laughs> prostitutes. Yep, and that that feeling just warms my soul and lets me fall asleep. I get that. Yeah. So that it was the love connection was was there because often it's you know has to do with Wait, love. Yeah, we were talking. What do you mean? <laughs> Specifically, serial killers or just killers in general? Because crimes of passion and love, those happen often, yeah. Yes. But you said serial killers. Yeah, so both. I've been listening to both. Um, Often not serial killers. However, evidently three is how many you need to, you know... Yeah, yeah, that's that's the mark right there. You want to be you want that tag. Yeah. That Dude, title. do you know there's, like, at any given time, there's, like, a hundred active serial killers? I was wondering... Like, if, just in our country? Oh, yeah. So... I don't doubt that. Uh, the number sounds high, but, but it's really but, not. Yeah, but most of them don't get names. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, like you only see the ones where it's, like, specifically weird. But there is, like, just unsolved murders that they believe one person is responsible for. Sure. At any given time. At least 100. Do you, 
how do you think that those people feel? Those serial killers who don't get a name? That's like the people who try to start a band and make it big, but they just Dude, fail. I think that's no, I think that's the way to do it. No, what I think those guys are like is yeah. like we talked about this before, the bare naked ladies. They got in, you they okay. had one hit single, sure, was huge for like a couple weeks. Yeah. They probably build a huge following. You don't really hear about them. They don't have paparazzi following around, but they've had a long career. They're still making music. They're still successful. They can still go play shows. Okay. They've made a career off it, and they're not Taylor Swift. They're not raking in hundreds of millions of dollars every year, but they probably live a comfortable life, have a great fan base, and they get to live in anonymity. Gotcha. So they're- Those serial killers are one-hit wonders who did it right. Who did it right? They can still kind of like lay low. To, maybe they have got one case that goes unsolved. And yeah, that's enough for yeah, them. exactly. Because like Ted Bundy, sure. right? Like, well, he was a, he was a little bit of a rascal. Yeah, he was a he, he was a, <laughs> a real rascal. rascal. <laughs> he got in some hijinks for sure. Yeah, and think of what he Dude, did. He's think- so great. He escaped police custody twice. Yeah, yeah. He, he can you imagine just him being like, I can jump out this window. I can jump out this <laughs> window. And because I think one of them was his him just jumping out the window and running yes. into the woods. Yeah, he next was at, to the prison. it was at like a library because uh, they had to let him do like That's he was, was representing himself. Yeah, yeah, and he was just like <laughs> these idiots left and the windows unlocked. <laughs> well, and you know what? Think of all the good that Ted Bundy did for the American police force and like connecting districts and precincts together. Yeah, because prior to that. They didn't talk. Yeah. And then this guy's like, I'll murder three women in this state, three women in this state, three women in this state, and no one will be the wiser because they don't talk to each other. Of course, I'm joking, obviously. Yeah, God, he did the, ha- the heyday, man. Yeah. But, but because of his actions, like really the you know, public police forces become much more efficient in what they do. Yeah, exactly. But the point I was making is those guys... The one, the names that you know, mm-hmm. those guys got caught. Sure, I mean it's the so, Frank, it's the Frank Lucas. And so if you're a if you're a murders. genuine, actual, factual serial killer, if nobody's ever even heard of your name or even knows about you, you're the best. You're like you're you're doing like you're doing good. That's where you want to be. Sure. Or what about those people that that do the murder? They are the prime suspect, and then they vanish off the face of the earth, and they just happen to lay low. And evade police and evade yeah. know, any repercussions of their actions. Yeah, that's for the where rest you want. That's where you want to be. We had yeah. one of those here locally, like I don't know, f- probably ten years ago at this point. Wait, what? Yeah, they found a guy, well, uh, an elderly man died, and after he died, they were look. They were like cleaning up his estate, that type of thing, and they're like, "Oh, we think that this guy is related to these murders, like three or four murders out of state." Oh wow! Like, but he's he was local, local, like not not two hours away in the same state, like twenty minutes away. Oh, sweet, yeah, that's very cool. Insane to to think that things like that happen, dude. So, speaking of true crime stuff, there is a documentary docu series you need to watch. Okay, now I think we talked about this uh, like last weekend. If you don't watch it, it's gonna get recommended on here. But I'd rather you just watch it so we can talk. It's it's on HBO Max. It's called The Curious Case of Natalia Grace. So back in 2009, this couple adopted a young girl with dwarfism. Yeah, you okay? Yeah, 
I remember you talking um, to me she about was, this. She was from an orphanage in the Ukraine, and she had come to America, got passed around to a few families. They end up getting her when she's like six. And in America? From, yeah. Okay. And from their point of view, the, the story they tell is that she uh, she started like holding a knife over their bed and started trying to take their kids' toys and throw them in traffic to get their kids to run out in traffic. And that they're Jeez. and they're like, this girl is not six years old. She's at least 20. She's an adult. And so what actually happened is through the help of a doctor who confirmed that this girl, you know, from his belief that this girl was older than that. Sure. They got her age changed from 2004 or her birthday changed from 2004 to 1989. Oh, my gosh. So then uh, they put her in a home. They they bought and they got an apartment for her and she was living on her own. Now, if you believe her side of the story, she is she was born in two thousand four, and they essentially put a nine year old girl living alone in an apartment by herself. If you believe their side of the story, she's an adult, mm-hmm. like straight out of orphan, who is a psychopath who was born in nineteen eighty nine. Who's been tricking all these people? There's a lot of intrigue to it, and there's a lot of he said, she said, and you're never a hundred percent sure exactly what the truth is. In it's fucking fascinating. That sounds really wild. In both scenarios, was she like trying to kill the kids or manipulate the kids? Uh, there's a lot of reasons to believe that the parents were just making that up because they oh, okay. were trying to get rid of this girl because they adopted her in, I think I said 2009. It was 2010 they adopted her. Oh, okay. The movie Orphan came out in 2009. Yeah, it sounds like the movie. So Orphan. it seems like there's certainly a case to be made oh. that they were just trying to get rid of this girl. <laughs> and so they made up the story that she was a psychopath trying to kill them and convinced her to say, cause she was a kid and convinced her to say weird shit yeah. that led people to also believe that that's so, so I, okay. like I said, it's, there's a lot of back and forth. And so that, that had initially came out on ID like a year or two ago, mm-hmm. the first season of it. And you never actually get an interview with Natalia. And then they released a season two just a couple weeks ago. Hmm. And you actually get her side of the story. It's called Natalia Speaks season two. Huh. So you get to see her side of the story. Dude, it is fascinating and dark. And like, like there's so many moving parts to the story, but it's awesome. That sounds you, Dude, you really got to watch it. You yeah. got to watch it. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll uh, turn it on and fall asleep to it. No, no, but it, it does. It sounds it sounds very, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, dude. People are crazy. People are just wild. And some of the people, like the dad who had adopted her, he is, there's so much, there's so much good stuff we need to talk about with this guy. Okay. <laughs> this guy is a character. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, I'll definitely have to watch that. Let's Let's table that. Let's talk about some other crazy people. Specifically... Like the thousands upon thousands of crazy teenage girls flocking to all the Beatles concerts in the 1960s. <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg being one of them. Whoopi Goldberg being one of them. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's talk about eight days a week. 
Hey folks, make sure to stay up to date on all the latest episodes by following us at Get Wrecked Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Or if you have any recommendations you'd like to hear us review on the show, you can contact us directly via email. Or, I don't know, maybe you just want to send us some feet pics. You creep, I don't know what you're into. I don't care. We'll review those too. What do you think of that, huh? In any case, all your requests, feedback, and general criticism of the straight white patriarchy can be sent to getrectpod at gmail.com. That's G-I-T-R-E-C-D-P-O-D at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Alrighty, folks, we are back, and today we are discussing the Beatles eight days a week, uh, the touring years. So this is a documentary released in 2016 from director Ron Howard, Richie Cunningham, from Happy Days. How? Why is it that you can never, like, that's always what I think of. He's what? done so much. Uh, Ron Howard? Ron Howard. He's done so much, but it's still, he's just, he'll always be... He'll always be Richie Cunningham. To oh, me. he's he's not even that for me. He's Opie from. Uh, oh, I was never a huge uh, Andy Griffith. I was never a huge Andy Griffith fan. Oh man, the yeah, I I enjoyed Andy Griffith. Like the that was one of the old black and whites that I watched. But uh, in any case, but yeah, so, he has done so much. Yeah, and, <laughs> and my main memory he's, of him he's is an like, incredible director. Yeah, just his his time as a child skipping stones with Andy Griffith. He was also, did you ever watch Arrested Development? Uh-huh. He was the voiceover in Arrested Development. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was a pretty solid show. Yeah, Let's. so let's see. He directed Apollo 13. What? Uh-huh. I, okay. <laughs> All right. Hold on, I'm going to pull up a list of his filmography as a director. That's wild. I never realized that he directed Apollo 13. That was That was a moment when that movie came out. Oh, yeah. Huge movie. Yeah. He directed Willow, which was kind of crazy. He directed Ransom. Like, the there was an old Mel Gibson uh, action film. He directed How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey? <laughs> what? Oh, my gosh. Uh, that's pretty wild. He directed uh, the Da Vinci Code movies. No, he directed Solo, a Star Wars story. Wait, really? That's what he's listed on here. It says director, directed by. I'm going to click on so. This is according to IMDb. Director Ron Howard. Boom. Wow. Okay. Jeez. Well, that's a low point in his career in my book. Yep. Now that's all I'm going to think of. He's no longer Richie Cunningham. He is now the the Directors. dumbass who directed Solo, the <laughs> shittiest Star Wars movie ever made. <laughs> uh, poor Ron Howard. That's look at how our opinion of him just went through these highs and lows. <laughs> We're just a uh, little Ron Howard, a little Opie from. That well, is his name, right, a, in that show? Yeah, Opie. Opie, yeah. and then Richie Cunningham, these, like, seminal, it's super important characters in pop culture. Yeah. He directed Apollo 13. How incredible. How amazing. Solo, what were you thinking? Yeah, we hate you immediately. <laughs> what a waste. What a washed-up director this guy is. Yeah. Uh, just kidding. Have you ever seen, you know his brother, too? His brother is, God, he looks weird. <laughs> All right. Well, do you know who his brother is? I have no idea. I mean, I'm guessing the last name is Howard, 
But other than that, I have no idea. Hold on, let me pull up a picture. I don't know his... uh... And is there any, like, should I know him from something? Or is it just... Yes. Like, this celebrity has a weird-looking brother. All right, his name is Clint Howard. It is this guy. Oh my gosh, that's his brother? That's Clint Howard, yeah. He's, uh, oh man. I know he's in Armageddon for sure. Yeah. Off the top of my head, that's the one I know. There's a movie. He's a a great character actor. Yes, he often plays really weird, like really weird. Because he has a weird face. He does have a weird face. I completely understand. And he's going to have a huge filmography because he is a character actor. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he has 348 results. That's so wild. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. But, um, so Ron Howard directed The Beatles. Well, he directed this, uh, this film, this Eight Days speci- a Week. Yeah, this documentary of The Beatles, specifically. Okay. Yeah, so, and there are a couple, there are interviews specifically with, uh, John, or not John, Paul, and Ringo. Mm-hmm. Because obviously they were the only ones alive when he was uh, making sure. this. And there's old film, like film footage of of George and John talking to yeah. the camera as well. But yeah, um, yeah. So he directed it. We got on such a Ron Howard tangent there. We really did. But yeah. <laughs> we really so my eight days a week. So this film is following the touring years of the Be- the Beatles because really. Their first uh, few albums, they were touring. That's Beatlemania. They're the huge. So really, this is a film about Beatlemania specifically and that era of their career. So first thoughts, impressions. What are you thinking? Because I know this is your era of the Beatles that you prefer. It is. Yeah. Um, So this was really cool because I hadn't ever really taken a look into this part of their life. I knew that they did this. I knew that they eventually started getting into some experimental stuff, ended up not really agreeing on a lot of things, kind of disbanding for a bit, mm-hmm. and then coming back. But this, I thought, was was very, very interesting. And, and understanding what was going to come of these people, of these musicians, knowing that where they would lead from this point you can see the signs in this. So I thought that this was really cool to kind of dive in and maybe see this as a precursor of their transformation from that pop band to this experimental rock band that they became. It was very, very interesting and cool to see. Um, When you had recommended this, you said that it was a good uh, telling or it, it brought to light just how insane the craze was for the Beatles. Yeah. Which is, is very, very true. Cause I, you know, I, I knew my dad is a big Beatles fan. He's like, man, the Beatles were huge. Like it's not going to happen again type of thing. Mm-hmm. And that you hear that and you're like, okay, that's, you know, I get that. I understand that. But then you see it and it's a different thing. Yeah. No, really the only probably since the Beatles, you get Michael Jackson. Yeah. Is probably there. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, I think, is Beyonce. At that point. Yeah. Um, I, not really many other people. It's really the amount of fame that they had mm-hmm. and what they did is insane. There's one point in the documentary where, because each album, they show you how long it's spent at number one. Yeah. And every single one of their albums spent a time at number one. It was like months Weeks for most of them. them. But at one point, 
the top five songs in the world were all the Beatles from the same album. That's so insane. Never happened before. Will never happen again, especially in today's day and age. It can't happen again. Yeah. Yeah, They had five, the number of songs, number one, two, three, four, and five, all the Beatles. That is insane. It's, it's absolutely nuts. The thing that jumped out to me about this was how much they were on the road during the, like the first four years of yeah. them going around. And I knew that they toured and I knew that it was a crazy thing, but I don't think it registered to me just how much they were touring and the fact that they had to make albums essentially while they were on the road. Mm-hmm. Like they would write and everything and then they would take two weeks off of touring to record and then they were right back out. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of they even kind of dive into that, that a lot of their writing was happening because you always think the rock star, the the musician, they're torn around and every night is partying and girls. And really, it's the four of them locked in a hotel room every night. Yeah. Just writing more music. Yeah. Like the sheer volume of not only music, but legendary classic music that would go on to live forever that was written in hotel rooms and in short such a short period of time yeah. is insane it is insane um so just so they i want to look at their discography real quick so please please me was 1963 mm-hmm. with the beatles 1963 hard days night was 1964 beatles for sale was 1964 so they were doing two albums a year for like four years. Yeah. So this this film covers one, two, three, four, five, six albums. Yeah. And it covers the span of three years. That's so nuts. <laughs> Dude. That's so nuts. And and here's the thing. If you count the number of recognizable hits off of those albums, those three years. Mm-hmm. It's well into the double digits. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's just that's crazy. That's crazy to me that um that they were that prolific. So it it makes me wonder how they reached that point. Like what was going on behind the scenes? Cuz obviously they are talented, right? But what strings were being pulled? What Deals were being made, not in a nefarious, like, underground, shady way, mm-hmm. but what's the business end of that to make them that famous and that well-known? Obviously, the people, like, they're the face of the group, but, you know, does that happen 100% organically? I, or- think, I think part of it does. I think there's a couple factors. I think one factor is just how incredible the music is and they even i love they do an interview it's all like one short snippet with malcolm mcdowell yeah or not malcolm mcdowell that's the bad guy in tank girl uh (laughs) malcolm gladwell who wrote a book uh called outliers and he he his whole theory is this concept of ten thousand hours if you want to really truly become an expert at something you have to put in your ten thousand hours and so the very beginning of their career, they're playing in Liverpool, or perhaps it's when they went to Germany, and they're playing like six to eight hours a day. Yeah. So when they finally started getting recognition, they had already put in their 10,000 hours. Yeah. They had already been playing live every single night and every single day. Yeah. 
Well, and that, that was kind of said by maybe Paul, too. He's like, when we got famous, people thought it was an overnight thing, but we hadn't. You know, yeah, we yeah. Were, they, we they, had spent a, they had spent years like playing in these small clubs, kind of in this burgeoning rock and roll scene. Yeah. Um, so I think that's part of it is just you cannot deny, even if you even if you don't care for it and it's not your music style, you cannot deny the absolute brilliance of Paul McCartney and John Lennon. Oh when, yeah. When they write, when they write music together, it was just bouncing ideas off of each other, licks and yeah, lyrics and yeah, their, their, their melodies and their song structure is just undeniable. Right. Yeah. I was also, it was interesting to see how I think timing had a big part to do with it too. Like, there are obviously the Beatles were very talented, but mm-hmm. also the fact that the baby boomer generation was at the age that it was at, where it's like the biggest population in the world yeah. at that point in time. Um, so you've got that mixed with technology being such that really worldwide phenomenons aren't an occurrence. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the first ones ever. Yeah, I, I think that there were a number of factors outside of their control that helped contribute to their fame. Sure. Yeah. Like just, you know, perfect scenarios that, that yeah. worked out for I, them. This is one of those where what I've heard this said before, where success is where uh, luck and opportunity line up. Yeah. Or luck and hard work or something, whatever luck, it is. Yeah. It's, it's luck is is where uh, hard work and opportunity. Meet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of their I think that's exactly what happened. And also they do a great job of somebody pointing out like. They were kind of fully formed and ready to be on this huge stage because they were just they were just jokesters and they were just four friends who were very funny. And you I love all the interviews where the interviewers are asking them questions and they're just goofing around and just kind of being dicks. Yeah. And just just they're just trying to make their friends laugh. I think that's a huge benefit they had, whereas. If you were Elvis or you were somebody who's saying everybody's asking you questions and you just got to answer. Whereas the Beatles, it's four of them and they're all best friends. They spend all day, every day together laughing. And so when they're doing interviews, they're not taking it serious. They're just trying to make the other guys laugh. Sure. And everybody picked up on that. Yeah. that That's another thing I love about it, is you kind of get to see what was so like magical and enigmatic about these guys. And I think that's what it was. That's the first time you really get to see that. It's just a group of buddies being buddies. And it's kind of like the huge phenomenon of podcasting in our world today Mm -hmm. where you get to see these friends are just being friends and you want in on their conversation. Sure. You want to be able to chime in. It's like some of our friends will text us periodically when they listen to this show and be like, man, I wish I could have chimed in. Yeah. Off, and, often dude, to correct us. <laughs> yeah, that's usually why they want to chime in because we're just saying nonsense. Yeah. But that that I think that's such a huge part of it is they were four really good friends who seemed like they were really fun to hang out with. And so when people saw that, they were like, I want to be part of that. I love these guys. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because it, it did seem they seemed very genuine. In all of their interviews. And I, I think even as their music style changed, you know, through this um, through this documentary, you could see the, as they changed, it, it, 
their candidness with reporters, with paparazzi, didn't really change in the fact that as they became more frustrated with everything, mm-hmm. they didn't hide that. They didn't stay like super happy and go lucky. They didn't, you know, shield themselves from the public as far as the the view. Yeah, of, but I think I don't emotions. think they could have honestly either. Yeah. So so they definitely were genuine, and I can I can see how that would be appealing. And two, I was thinking about the type of music that was famous prior to these guys, and they're probably really jumping off in a different direction than what, like, again, the baby boomer generation, what their parents listened to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember because my parents are baby boomers and my mom, her grand, her mom listened to polka music. <laughs> yeah. And my grandparents on my dad's side were both polka. They were both accordion players. Okay. And that's how they met. So- Music was different. It was very, very different. And yeah. and I could see, you know, in your teenage years, that's where you start to try and find your own identity and kind of separate yourself from your your parents' identity a little bit. That's, again, man, all these, it's a perfect storm scenario. Yeah, no, I think a lot of this is, the Beatles are 100%, they are, they changed music and the way people listen to it and approach it and... Every musician today is influenced by something they did. Yeah. But they didn't just create, they perfected rock and roll music because you had Elvis before him. You had a lot of the R&B and the blues musicians. And at one point they're doing a a Chuck Berry song. Mm -hmm. It's one of the ones you get a video where George is actually singing. Okay. Uh, and they're doing a song called Roll Over Beethoven, yeah. which is like the best Chuck Berry song ever. <laughs> Such a good song. But so they took rock and roll and they perfected it. Yeah. Have you seen? So you're kind of seeing the pin- the videos of Chuck Berry farting on prostitutes. Yes, I've seen. Well, no, not that. <laughs> there, there, was a, there was a video that I saw of Beatles playing with Chuck Berry on stage. Uh-huh. And it was with Yoko Ono. And she was on stage as well. And she just starts randomly shouting slash squealing in the middle of a song. Yeah, she liked doing that. (laughs) What a what a weird what a weird weird lady. And like you saw Chuck Berry, like his eyes just kind of opened up, and he looked to the left, and they just cut her mic. But anyway, yeah, no, I know. I think everybody likes to kind of point at Yoko Ono as like she broke up the Beatles, and. Another great Beatles documentary that came out recently was Get Back on Disney Plus, Mm -hmm. where it's very long and it's very slow. So you got to like really be interested in the topic. Yeah. And that one's not so much a documentary as it is just a like a recording watching them record, right? It was their final album, Let It Be. Sure. When they. The plan was for them to play live again and get back to touring and playing live shows. Yeah. And so they recorded an album because the last couple albums before that, they couldn't have played live. There was too much. That was their experimental phase where they're playing tapes backwards to get the guitar backwards. And they have all this orchestration and all this stuff. They're like, there's no way we can play this live. So that album, they decided to make a movie of them making the album. Never got released, but there was like hundreds of hours of footage of them recording this album. Yeah. 
Uh, and Peter Jackson ended up taking the footage and cutting it all together. Why wouldn't they release it when it, you know, when it was being recorded? I, yeah, I don't know. Probably like, probably like production stuff. You probably gotta think that it would have been issues. successful. But yeah, it has just been sitting. Yeah, especially with their history of, of being in movies. And yeah, the, the footage existed of when they did end up playing. They played on the rooftop of their recording studio. And mm-hmm. you get a small snippet of that at the end, at the end of this documentary. You know, looking at that, because they were kind of, that's playing while the beginning credits are starting to play. Yeah. And I, I sat and just watched all of that, them playing on the rooftop. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool seeing that after the documentary of just how crazy things got with them during their touring years because I almost saw it on all their faces. Like seeing them at that age with their different looks and like Paul with his beard and everybody with their long hair. Mm -hmm. Like you could, at least for me, I could see the life and how it had affected them. Yeah. At, like they're wearing it on their face. Dude, I'm telling you, Get Back is an awesome documentary. It's like nine hours long because it's a docu-series and okay. each episode is like three hours long. Jeez. It took me a couple days to get through it and it's yeah. slow because it's a lot of just them just chatting while they're trying to record. It's fucking phenomenal though. Hmm. And like the last episode is mostly that whole session of them playing on. The, so also some context of them playing on the roof there when they got back together or did that concert. Mm-hmm. Crowds started forming around this building and like blocking traffic. Right. They didn't. They, and there are some people saying, oh, I don't know what they're doing. It's the middle of the day and they're pissed. And then there's people like thrilled that they're hearing the Beatles play. The police came and broke it up. And literally the police come up and they're like, dude, you guys can't just play a <laughs> concert on a roof with no. And the police just end up sitting there for a couple, for like probably like 20, 30 minutes before they actually make them stop playing. So that video, like in that video they show too, you see the police. Yeah. That's because the police had told them like, okay, you guys got to wrap it up. And then they played a couple more songs (laughs) (laughs) too, because they didn't get permission to do that. Right. They just did it. They just did it. Um, but yeah, no, that. That documentary is great, and some of the songs that they played on that roof are the final album album versions. That's cool. that you find on Let It Be. That's cool. What? How crazy is that? Because if if some other band, all right, let's just say you and I go up on a roof and start playing, nobody's no cops are going to come if it's in the middle of the day. No cops are going to come, or if somebody does call the cops. They're going to be like, well, they're on private property. They're not hurting anybody. It's not curfew. Like they're they're not really breaking any rules or laws. But the fact that it's the Beatles playing just causes a massive pileup of, of people <laughs> yeah. and, and traffic issues. That's wild. That, that's kind of fun. That's kind of fun. So obviously the Beatles have just unprecedented amounts of impact on music, right? Mm-hmm. The real question is, Thor, which is the best Beatle? Everybody has a favorite. Thor? Had you yours? asked me when I was a teenager, I probably would have said John Lennon. Because okay. I was I was into a lot of like counterculture and hippie shit. Yeah. But when it comes down to the pure music of it, mm-hmm. I love Paul McCartney. Yeah. 
because here here's the thing. This is, I believe, undeniable is Paul McCartney is the real brains behind that fucking operation. Okay. Like, once again, this is a lot from Get Back. If you actually watch them in the studio, he's the one with all these ideas. Of, oh, we should put some instrument instrumentation in here. Sure. And then he went on to do Wings, who has also a bunch of incredible songs. Mm hmm. I think true and the greatest melodies, you can always tell a McCartney melody in any of the Beatles songs. Like you can kind of tell which songs because typically either George has a hit uh, is has the writing credit or Ringo has the writing credit for like a couple songs. Not many. Yeah. Um, Or John and Paul have the writing credit because they were the primary writers of the songs. Sure. But you can always kind of tell the songs that like Paul is like was kind of like the brains behind. His melodies are some of the best melodies ever written of all time. Yeah. He's certainly the greatest songwriter of the 20th century he's, without a doubt. He's really good. I don't like his Christmas song, but He's really good. Wait, what's his Christmas song? Oh, it's uh, freaking A. Now, now that they will be having yeah. a wonderful yeah. Christmas time. I hate that song. <laughs> but it's so catchy. I, that's true. That's true. That might be so why So there's I some hate part it. of subconsciously that you like it. No, not at all. Does it get stuck in your head? It does. Subconsciously, you like it on that some That doesn't front. mean that I like it. Yes, it does. Thinks, <laughs> no, I'll get the song that never ends by Lamb Chop stuck in my head. That, doesn't mean that i like the song subconsciously on some level there's something about you that likes it i disagree (laughs) (laughs) disagree (sighs) because you get songs that get stuck in your head all the time that you don't care for like stupid little things on the radio for example nope i it can it can be catchy and you not like it. Yeah. I do love all the videos, though, because you were talking about the favorite Beatle. Yeah. And I kind of love all the interviews with girls. And they do a great job of showing like every different girl is like, I love George. He's just the best. I love Ringo. I, <laughs> I, he's, I just want to eat him up. Yeah. And like they do this great job of showing that everybody did. They also kind of started that because you see that with the boy bands in the 90s, sure. too. Where every girl had their favorite NSYNC member, their mm-hmm. favorite Backstreet Boys member. Yeah. And the Beatles were kind of the first ones to do that. Yeah. I So two of the two of the girls in, in one of the videos on this documentary, one girl's like, I like Ringo. He's got a sexy nose. And, <laughs> and the interviewer's like, a sexy nose? And she's like, yeah, sexy nose. And then there's a girl uh, right next to her. It's like honestly, I like, he does kind of have a sexy nose. I think he's the funniest looking out of all of them. But I'd, I'd sit on your face, Ringo. Ringo, if you're listening, and he probably is. <laughs> We're sure you're listening, Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> I'll sit on your face, bud. <laughs> and and then the other girl is just like, I like George's eyelashes. Like, okay, that's just really interesting things to fixate on yeah. about these, you know, these uh, musicians that... George, come give me butterfly kisses yeah. with your sexy eyelashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see, to me, I would think if anybody's going for the nose, it's got to be John, because John's kind of got the the protruding, like, hook nose. Yeah, he's got a real beak on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> real, <laughs> real bird-like, yeah. 
but uh, no, yeah. As I get older, I hate John Lennon more and more. If I'm being honest, I I think that I don't hate him, but like he kind of bugs me as I get older. As I get more, as I turn into more of a Republican <laughs> and a conservative, I'm like, ugh, ugh. ugh. communism. <laughs> I mean, so growing up for me, Paul was always my favorite. Mm-hmm. But as I've gotten older, I've kind of liked, been liking George more. I get that, yeah. Um, I've Dude, Harrison kind of, and honestly, Harrison is the real reason the Beatles broke up. He was the one who was always trying to quit. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And part of that is because they were kind of dicks to him. Like, they would make jokes how he wasn't as good at guitar as Eric Clapton and shit like that. I thought that they like, broke up because I thought that Paul broke them up because he was like, "Hey guys, we're getting screwed over by the record companies." Oh, okay. Maybe I'm not aware of yeah. that. I don't know, I, but, but then again, they're, they're a lot. I mean, honestly, it's probably just like once again, they were best friends. Sure, spent all this time together, mm-hmm. and it was probably just you can only spend so much time with somebody, even somebody you really enjoy, before it's like we need some space. Sure. And had Harrison and Lennon not died, I'm sure at some point they probably would have started doing reunion tours and getting back together. They just needed that space. They spent so long kind of in this weird bubble where they didn't have anybody else who understood what they were going through. And all they really had was each other. And they probably just cling to each other. And then that probably eventually grew resentment. Yeah, I mean, you spend that much time with anybody, you're going to find things to pick at and you're going to get annoyed yeah, with each other. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can understand that. And anytime that you hear Ringo or Paul talk about John or George, it's always fondly. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they, they obviously were very, very close. No. And once again, in the get, I'll reference Get Back a bunch too, because, and you see this a lot. One, I, That's kind of what I was getting at is everybody's like, oh, Yoko Ono broke him up. Yeah. And there's a real big part in there where they're kind of so during the get back filming uh the let like during the recording of let it be george quit the band during them recording let it be he quit the band he's like i'm fucking done with you guys huh. like i can't do this anymore sure and all the beatles and the wives went and like talked to him and got him back in but there's there's a part they're kind of talking about because Yoko Ono, that whole filming, she's just hanging out. The other wives and girlfriends aren't hanging out. Okay, She's there just hanging out. But she's not being a dick and she's not interrupt. She's just there hanging out. And there's this part where they're the producers or the people hanging out are just talking to Paul. And he's like, yeah, that's they're kind of in love right now and they're really in love and he just wants her because somebody's questioning like isn't it weird that yoko's hanging out yeah and paul is like no it's not weird they're in love that's the like he just wants her to be around all the time and she's just sitting there quietly being nice sure. and she's not doing anything so it kind of destroys this argument that oh she broke up the beatles yeah whereas like even as it was happening paul was like no she's just he's just going on his own journey yeah yeah in truth it was probably a little bit of a little bit of this a little bit of that yeah a little bit of they've been doing music for you know 15 years together recording at a breakneck pace yeah you're gonna get burnt out it's Mm -hmm. just it's gonna happen yeah Um, I, i love all the scenes of them playing live though yeah because that's the thing where you really get to see that's what they loved doing yes dude like you can tell when they're playing 
they're just having fun. They're like, you get the part where they're both singing on the microphone. They'll be like, wow, sugar, baby. And they're, they're all singing together and just dancing. You can tell that that's what they loved doing. They were just having so much fun. Mm -hmm. I love that shit. And to go with where you get to see that last, the last footage of them, you know, the last time they performed live on the rooftop. Sure. You get to see that a lot of that too, where they're, it's like they're having fun again. Yeah. Yeah. Cause y- you can, you can definitely see that. Something I thought was interesting about that was the song that they were playing um, at the very end there. Paul was singing the low notes and John was singing the high notes. Mm-hmm. And usually, if my memory serves me right, they were, that was flipped. Yeah. Like usually Paul was higher mm-hmm. and, yeah. and Lennon was uh, lower, which was kind of cool to see. Something I thought was interesting too about these these early years of them going around is that they really weren't making a ton of money off of the album sales themselves, which is another reason that they were on tour so much. That that's where their money came from. Yeah, was touring, which I, I think also just kind of lends credence to the idea that the record companies were screwing them over. Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, and they ended up opening their own record company, Apple. Yeah. The Apple Core. Mm-hmm. <laughs> C-O-R-P-S. Apple yeah. Corps was their like uh, recording label. Yeah, You know, I yeah. really love but, the and snarkiness. Also, of, also that of kind of talks to the music industry in general at yeah. that point in time. Well, and I think just the music industry in in general. Yeah, I mean, you like, still you still whole, you see. St- you still deal with that. It, or you st- like Kesha, not that she's on the same level as the Beatles, but like, she had, I think, one album. And then essentially something was going on with her record label where she had a dispute with her producer. And I think that there were allegations against the producer. Yeah. But she didn't release an album for X amount of years because... Yeah, she was under contract, basically. Yeah. So had she yeah. even released it, they would have made money. She was like, nope, yeah. fuck you. Yeah, it's that's just crazy to, to think that the companies can be that way. Or even American Idol. Like From what I've heard, back when American Idol was in its heyday, season one, two... That the musicians that won and got that record deal, American Idol essentially owned everything that they did. Oh, yeah. It makes sense. So the people who came in second or third place often had a better outcome initially from that because other companies would obviously, they were famous at that point. Other companies would take them. Dude, do you remember that? I think it was the first season or whatever. Then they made a movie about... Like, they made a movie with the two people who won from Justin to Kelly. Did just was Justin? It was Kelly of, Clarkson yeah. and Justin. I don't, nobody knows his last name. Was he, he one of the winners? They were the two finalists. Oh, I think Kelly okay. Clarkson probably won. Kelly Clarkson won season one. I don't know why. She, she's I know one, that information, but she's one of the few. Because that show has done, like, as far as like making them an actual pop star and sensation. She's one of like the few people who actually had that happen. Yeah. It was basically like her, uh, Carrie Underwood. Oh yeah, I forget that she was. Yeah, because what happened to Ruben Stutter? Yeah, those are really the only two who still have these like huge yeah. music careers. Daughtry is still running strong. Oh, is he from American Idol? Yeah, I I remember watching like back in the heyday, like mm-hmm. when it first came out, those first couple seasons. So Daughtry. Evidently was approached by the band Fuel because he did a cover of Hemorrhage on yeah. American Idol. 
and Fuel was like, we want you to be our new lead singer. (laughs) And he's like, nah, I'm going to do my own thing. (laughs) So, yeah. But but anyway, I just, the whole record company, I think, has kind of been a thorn in, or a blight on the music industry. For sure, yeah. Perception-wise, throughout history, so... It is kind of hilarious how long that like institution of the music industry was had so much sway. And now like now it really because of Spotify and streaming and Pandora and all those things like they have way less power. It's yeah. a lot of the power and the ability to make music is in the hands of the actual artists. But it's kind of funny for however many years they just had such a stranglehold on that business. Mm hmm. Like, literally, I've never heard a single person, a single musician, say anything good about a record label or the music industry, <laughs> aside from record labels that are end up coming out from artists. Sure. Or, yeah. or like, indie labels or punk labels or mm-hmm. the hip-hop labels that the actual hip-hop artists started, like Death Row and... Uh, uh, bad boy records. I was just going to say, I can't help you Thor. Not, not in that. You, but yeah, you, no, like the only record labels you ever really hear any artists say anything good about are the ones that are started by, by artists yeah. who got fucked over by the big <laughs> labels. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, I don't know. I guess that's life. It's just it's, weird. It's to, just funny how long they went. Yeah. Well, and it's weird to think about these characters, the, them being the Beatles, mm-hmm. as big and as famous as they are, essentially being, I don't want to say pawns, but like they're definitely getting screwed over. Yeah. Like they're being taken advantage of. And you would think that somebody as famous and with as much, I don't know, as large of a voice and as much influence as they have or had, like, you think that that'd be harder to do sure, to, yeah. to really have a lockdown on them. So it's just kind of nuts. Awesome. Oh, you know what I want to talk about too? Hmm. So were the Beatles the first cancellation? Were they the first people oh, to get canceled? Yeah, Isn't that, that kind of funny? That was, yeah. I mean, well, when you go against Jesus, it's going to happen, I yeah. guess. Dude, uh, I, I love that part <laughs> because what John said in an interview, just kind of off the cuff, he was like, yeah, the Beatles are bigger than Jesus right now. Yeah. And I love that. So obviously the Bible Belt in America starts burning Beatles records. Yeah, that was kind of wild because it's on like syndicated television. They're like, and don't forget this Sunday, we're going to have our Beatles burning event. Bring all of your Beatles records, all of your Beatles memorabilia. Like that's something that you're going to publicize. We're just going to make a bonfire about the Beatles. Yeah, man. That's intense. Dude, book burnings and album burnings, pretty big at that point in time. That's so weird to me. Yeah. But yeah, that was kind of nuts. And and then he had to apologize and come out and be like, look, I'm not saying that the Beatles are better than Jesus. (laughs) I'm just saying that young people are more interested in rock music than the Bible. Yeah. And it's funny too hearing Paul talk about because he's like, we were all Christians, we were all raised Christians. Yeah. He wasn't trying to to defame Jesus, but it it's also neat. You get to that's kind of like a you get to kind of see this like pinpoint of counterculture taking hold. Yeah, where they're kind of questioning these old ways, and yeah, and it's weird to think about the Beatles as counterculture, but they really were at the spearhead of a lot of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, where they're like, because Elvis would never say something like that. 
And he certainly could have. Sure. He was certainly in a very similar point of view, but like, yeah, I mean, no he, way. But the Beatles kind of, they were in the, they were smoking weed and they were taking LSD and they were like right on kind of the forefront of this cultural shift in perception and like societal norms. And once again, like you were saying, they were so genuine yeah, he, he it didn't even occur to him to like think like maybe I shouldn't say this. He was just like, this is what it what I think. <laughs> I, I, I got to Yeah, <laughs> we're going to pause real quick. I forget. I forget what we were talking about. My damn dog. <sighs> yeah, folks, we just paused for a second because Micah's dog started freaking out for no, no reason. reason. I'm assuming. Yeah, no reason. So I forget where we're at, but we're kind of at that point <laughs> where. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I mean, I feel like we covered most of the stuff in the documentary once. This isn't one where it's like, I don't know. There's a lot of intricacies to go over. We're just, it, it just covers the Beatles and when they were touring. Yes. Yeah. So. I mean, the Beatles were, it, it was very, very cool seeing this stage of the Beatles. This is where I like most of their music. I do like when there's like start to get experimental. Rubber soul. Yeah. Dude, rubbers. Rubber Soul might be my favorite album because it yeah. has a lot of the things where you can see where they start getting a little bit away from their traditional pop stuff. Yes. But they haven't gotten too like super experimental. Like when you get to uh, Sgt. Pepper's, mm-hmm. obviously an incredible album. Sure. But I think I could easily see somebody being like, eh, that, that stuff's not really for me because they're just fully fully in the throes of doing acid and just trying to make weird shit because they think it's cool. Mm-hmm. Well, and something, so along again, to call back to through the documentary, they're saying how long these records are like at number one. Uh-huh. That Sergeant Pepper one was like at number one at s- somewhere in the world all the time for like two years. Yeah. Insane. That's uh-huh. nuts. Yeah. And Rolling Stone voted it the greatest album of all time. Yeah. That's I mean, wild I think to me. I get why though. Like sure. there yeah, are yeah, some incredible songs on there too. and some just music changing songs. Mm-hmm. Songs that people would steal like ideas from for still to this day, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so like it, it makes sense why that album's so important. Sure. And some of the good stuff, like I'm pretty sure uh a little help from my friends is on that song or okay. on that album. Okay. Uh it's a classic Lucy song. in the Sky with Diamonds. Uh, another classic song. It's almost like they just keep Across making the them. Universe, probably. I'm not Did you like that doc that um that musical? Did you Dude, see that? Dude, I musical? love it. It was really Honestly, good. Kendra really is a good. fan of the Beatles because of that. Yeah. Because of that movie. Yeah. Because she, you know what I mean? She kind of basically, she has cultural blinders on from before the year 2003. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because her mom was yeah. very much like, uh, she was basically, they were basically banning Har- or burning Harry Potter books mm-hmm. when, when she was a kid. Don't like, forget, folks. 3 p.m. this Sunday, your Harry Potter books will be banned, yeah. burned. Yeah, Come bring like, your Harry Potter memorabilia. Yeah, like no joke. She wasn't yeah. allowed to read Harry Potter or watch the movies because... Witchcraft? Yeah, it was witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And so she knew like Veggie Tales and Christian music and Little House on the Prairie. That was basically what she was allowed to consume Man. <laughs> prior to that. So she didn't know any Beatles music. Right. 
And then we watched Across the Universe, and we own the physical copy, the CDs of the music. Of the music. It's a two-part CD because they did a bunch of those songs. And honestly, I think some of the versions of the Beatles songs on that Across the Universe soundtrack. They're really good. I I think some of those are my preferred versions of the songs, like these modern takes on them. Yeah. It's really, really good. Yeah. So yeah, I love, I love that musical. I think it's great. Yeah. And I think it also shows like how good that music is that it can still be relevant and incredible even when it's just reworked. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that came out in the mid two thousands, you know, well, yeah, like 2007, 2008, nine, somewhere around there. It was after I graduated high school or shortly. So right around 2007, 2008. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so we're at the point where we rate the documentary. Yeah. Uh, Thor, what's our, what's our scope here? On a scale of one to 10,000 screaming girls. Okay. So loud that you can't even hear the music. You can't even hear the music you're playing. Um, yeah, 9,500 is probably where okay. I'm going to go. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. It was, it, well, you know what? 10,000. There's yeah. no, re- they're really thinking about it. There's no reason. I really, really enjoyed this. You got to like the Beatles, I would say, mm-hmm. um, to... Well, maybe you don't even have to really like the Beatles. Yeah, everybody likes the Beatles. Uh, everybody likes at least one song, and if they say they don't, they're fucking lying. I know somebody who says they don't. Yeah, and they're lying to themselves. <laughs> they're lying to themselves. All right. They happen to be a real big Coheed fan. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> and my belief is that I believe that she believes that she doesn't like the Beatles. Yeah. But everybody likes at least one one song that's right that's right if it's not lucy in the sky with diamonds it's help or strawberry or they just haven't heard the right song yet yeah my guitar gently weeps oh what a song dude yeah incredible yeah all right um so yeah perfect score as far as the documentary goes awesome pick awesome recommendation i would absolutely push that along as a recommendation to anybody else sure Uh, if you're a fan of music at all regardless of the genre yeah. I think it, it's a really good documentary. And it, it wasn't slow. Some documentaries can drag. I really didn't get that feeling with this no, one. No, it really moves through it a lot. Yeah. It does. It covers a couple of years, mm-hmm. and it does it pretty succinctly. Yeah. I think with, while not leaving you like wondering, like it covers, a, it hits all the main points. Yep. For a pretty extensive, a pretty extensive amount of time with a lot of things going on. Yeah. That you don't feel like, oh, they should have mentioned this or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. It was very informative, very eye opening, I thought. Um, just to kind of, again, I feel like it really made me understand where the transformation of the Beatles came from. Yeah. Like, I get it. I get having to deal with not being able to go out in public, not even being yeah. able to. A level to, of fame that nobody had experienced before. Yeah. To the point where they're like, let's be different people. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> and just yeah. and make a new yeah. album. And yeah. And they're taking acid and getting yeah. stoned and they're just being really introspective yeah. while living this life that nobody can understand. Yeah. Like maybe even since then, maybe 10 people in the world can understand the level of fame and scrutiny they experienced. 
So there you have it, folks. Um, this might be a shock, but the Beatles are pretty good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, you know, hot take, the Beatles are yeah. still pretty cool. So um, this documentary is streaming on Hulu. If you have a subscription for Hulu, you can also rent it. It looks like from Amazon Prime if you want. Um, it's made by that scumbag director, Ron, Ron Howard. Howard. What, doing the worst thing ever. Solo. Now, although maybe this is a redemption for him. Uh, <laughs> I think this was before that. Oh. So honestly, if you like timeline wise, yeah. he probably got done making this and was like, yeah, I'll do solo. I'll do solo. I can't do anything. <laughs> That's that crazy. Be bad. <laughs> uh, anyway, all jokes aside, um, solo was just solo was so mediocre. And that's the worst part about it for me. Uh-huh. Like it wasn't bad enough for me to have any emotions as far as hatred or Ugh. And it has some really great actors in it too yeah, that it I does. really enjoy. It has Donald Glover, it has uh Amelia Clark. Yeah. And it's just It's just so mediocre. It's so middle of the road. Yeah, yeah. That that is the worst type of movie. To evoke no emotions at all. That's you don't want to be mm-hmm. there. And that's what it was. But we're not gonna talk about solo anymore. Um tell us what you guys think about the we don't know we don't want to know what you think about the Beatles, because we already know. You like the Beatles. We get it. Let's move on. Uh, but this documentary specifically, I found it very eye-opening. Did you guys watch it? Was it eye-opening for you? Let us know. If you have any other recommendations of documentaries of bands who are already well-known and already famous, and nobody really disputes that, (laughs) send them our way. (laughs) We'd love to watch and talk about it. Um, you can find us on a variety of different avenues. We're on Instagram at Get Wrecked Pod, is that right? Get Wrecked Podcast. Get Wrecked Podcast. We're on threads for some reason with the same name. We have a fledgling Facebook with the same name. And you can always email us with your recommendations if you don't want to be online and on social media at getwreckedpod at gmail.com. That's G-I-T-R-E-C-D-P-O-D at gmail.com. Okay. That was, yeah, I I got through that quicker than most times. Yeah. So, uh, with that being said, Thor, next week, I feel like we should keep this music train rolling. All it's right. been a bit since we've since we've been yeah, yeah, covering we've, music. we've been doing a lot of movies the last we couple weeks. So I want to introduce you to a band called The Who. Now, I'm not talking about the British band, The Who. We're getting away from Who are you? Yeah. Who, 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 not talking about CSI either. But we're getting away <laughs> from them. No, I want to talk about Mongolian folk metal throat singing. Okay, so you have shown me these guys. Like I'm, I, I heard one of their songs once and saw the video because you had me. I, I'm assuming it's right after you discovered these guys. Yeah. This was a couple of years ago. You were like, dude, you gotta check this yeah. out. Yeah. So the, I'm a little bit familiar. Okay. Yeah. So, so for those of you who are not familiar. Um, the who is spelled the, and then H U. So they're, um, Mongolian musicians. They pull a lot of inspiration from their culture, their heritage, their history. Um, and they utilize Mongolian throat singing, which is a a way to sing two notes at once, but it's very like, and it's, that's it's no, just, that's basically it. You yeah, nailed it's, it. it's described as metal, but I don't really think that it falls under a metal category. It's like rock music with old style instruments. Yeah, they're they're taking like uh, traditional Mongolian and Asian yeah. music uh, instruments, as well as Mongolian throat singing, yeah. and pairing it with basically 
uh, double bass drum and yeah, like, like modern distorted day rock guitars. Music stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's what we're going to get into. Specifically, I want to listen to their first album. It's called, I think it's called The Gereg. It's G-E-R-E-G. Okay. Uh, they have a second album out. I think that one is called Rolling Thunder. The Gereg sounds like a, like a medieval torture device. Right. Put him in the Gereg. Put him in the Gereg. Yeah. Um, so next week, The Who, their first album, Gereg, 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 Gereg. G-E-R-A-G, The Garage. I don't know how I pronounce it, <laughs> yeah. but that's what we're going to get into. Um, so you should listen to it, and then next week, join us as we discuss it. I think it's going to be a pretty interesting conversation. So uh, until next time, folks. As always. You get wrecked out there. Stay wrecked. Yeah. Um, Ringo is the worst Beatle. I'm just going to go out and say it. No, oh, I love Ringo. Ringo. <laughs>